This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about management with a government executive who is changing the way government does business. The Business of Government Hour is produced by the IBM Center for the Business of Government, which was created in 1998 to encourage discussion and research into new approaches to improving government effectiveness. You can find out more about the center by visiting us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. And now, the Business of Government Hour. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and managing editor of the Business of Government magazine. In today's complex and changing healthcare environment, where the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs is experiencing a steep increase in demand for care, it is essential for VA to partner with providers and communities across the country to meet the needs of veterans. To be effective, these partnerships must be principle-based, streamlined, and easy to navigate for veterans, community providers, and VA employees. Historically, VAs used numerous programs, each with their own unique set of requirements, to create these critical partnerships with community providers. This resulted in a complex and confusing landscape for veterans, community providers, and as well as VA employees that serve and support them. What is the mission of VA's Office of Community Care? How is VA enhancing how it provides community care? And what can VA do better? We'll explore these questions and so much more with our very special guest, Dr. Bali Yahia, Deputy Undersecretary for Health for Community Care at the VA. Also joining us from IBM is Mark Newsom. Dr. Yahia, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thank you very much. Mark, welcome back. Glad to be here. So, Doctor, what is the mission of the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs' Office of Community Care? Um, and what is non-VA medical care? And perhaps you can give us the history of this program. Sure. The Office of Community Care and, frankly, the Veteran Health Administration, our mission is really to serve veterans. And uh, we do that by making sure that we can provide them services in the locations that make sense to them. Unlike very other different healthcare systems, we follow where the patients are. We have veterans that live in every corner of the United States. And while we have about 1,700 specific facilities and sites of care, we know that there's uh, many locations where we don't have a brick-and-mortar presence. And so in our office in community care, we develop strategic partnerships with community providers and hospitals and clinics to make sure that we can deliver health care to veterans. Today, we have about um, half a million different providers uh, that are private sector or other federal partners across the country that are dedicated to serving veterans through our program. Now, the interesting thing about our office is uh, it's a relatively new office, but the idea of partnering with private sector providers is not new to VA. We've been doing this for about 70 years, Uh, really started strongly with our academic affiliates. Many veteran medical hospitals are actually 
close to uh, academic partners, university hospitals. And we have great partnerships there. And so that really served as the nidus for developing this robust network that we have today. Mm-hmm. So let's dive a little bit deeper into your office. How, how are you organized? What's the size of your budget and your geographical footprint? Sure. So our office oversees this uh, robust network, which is really across the entire United States. Okay. So we're, we're across the country. And our team really focuses on three areas to support veterans and their families. The first is how do we make sure we... Uh, develop and coordinate their health care in the community, so as they go inside and outside of the VA. The second is we actually also lead VA's beneficiary programs. We take care of about 350,000 family members of veterans, so not veterans themselves, but their family members and their dependents. And so that program is run out of our office. And then we also have the revenue generation arm of VA, where we're able to work with health plans to collect revenue that goes right back to service veterans. So we really have those three components uh, in the Office of Community Care. Let's transition to your specific role. Uh, Can you tell us more about your duties, responsibilities as Deputy Undersecretary for Health for Community Care? What are your duties and areas under your purview? How do your efforts support VA's overall mission? Sure. Uh, First and foremost, uh, I'm part of the senior leadership team of the Veterans Health Administration, so making sure that uh, we continue to deliver those uh, deserved medical and health services to to our nation's veterans. So that's kind of first and foremost. And then more specifically, I oversee VA's uh, community care network, which, as I mentioned before, has providers in every single state, large and small, to be able to serve veterans close to home. And we focus a lot on how to coordinate that care. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have many veterans today that receive some of their care inside the walls of VA, sometimes outside. Um, and it makes sense uh, to do that in many locations. And it also varies by geography. Like, for example, in Alaska or in Montana or in West Virginia, uh, there may be more need to partner with community providers uh, versus maybe more concentrated areas where we have a lot of VA facilities. And so we oversee that network how to make sure that we connect the dots to make sure that no veteran falls through the cracks and really focus on clinical integration and quality and safety uh, in that network. So, you know, doctor, what are the top, say, uh, three challenges you face in your role, in your position, and and how have you sought to address those challenges? Yeah, I I would say that, um, you know, first and foremost is that coordination of care. Uh, Last fiscal year, about a third of all appointments that VA delivered were outside of our walls. So oh, that's a, a very high number. Only about two years ago is about a quarter. And so it's a rapid growth uh, in our strategic partnerships and in our delivery of uh, community kind of private sector care. So to make sure that as uh, that veteran, that patient goes through their journey uh, from a VA doctor to a community doctor, making sure that they have the right information, they're aware of uh, where they're going and who they're seeing, that clinician, that doctor in front of them has all the information they need from the VA to take care of them. And then kind of vice versa on the way back, as, as they go back into the VA for other services, we know what happened uh, in the community. We know what medicines were prescribed, what tests were ordered. And so that is really um, probably the biggest challenge. And, and frankly, that's a challenge that is faced by all of American healthcare today. Um, American healthcare is becoming more and more integrated. There's more dependencies 
uh, across the spectrum. And many large healthcare systems today are struggling with the same thing. How do you coordinate care? How do you integrate care across networks of providers rather than just within kind of the silo of one individual hospital? So that's really what I focus a lot of my time on. The other thing is, is kind of some basic management principles that large institutions and organizations have, which is what to standardize, what not to standardize, how do you allow for flexibility. And so we have a very large uh, healthcare system, obviously. And so we're always kind of trying to seek that appropriate balance of what are the things that really need to be standardized to deliver a consistent experience for our patients? And then what are the things that really don't need to be standardized to allow for maximum flexibility to take care of that individual in front of you? So those are the things that I kind of kind of continue to uh, to work on. So as you've looked at those challenges that you've encountered, um, what has surprised you most during your tenure at the VA? You know, I think the thing that surprised me most coming from uh, working in the private sector to to the VA is really the amount of similarity between a lot of the issues. And now, there are definitely some things that are a little bit different, but for the most part, you know, healthcare is healthcare. And so the idea of coordinating care, the idea of ensuring that there's high-quality care, the idea of driving more efficiency into the system to make it run better, uh, the idea of focusing on the patient and making sure that they have the best experiences. Um, you know, a lot of those same concepts and ideas are the are what other healthcare institutes across the country are working on as well. And so in my mind, it's a really great opportunity to share best practices between the federal sector and the private sector. And uh, it's been wonderful over the last couple of years to develop those sort of strategic partnerships and to work with some of the leading institutions across the country and to really sh- uh, share, you know, hey, we found this to be really effective. It may work for your uh, patient population and then vice versa. So that's been kind of a, an, an interesting uh, learning lesson for me. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your career path? How did you get to where you are today? You know, um, I'm a clinician. I'm a doctor, uh, first uh, first and foremost. And so like many doctors across the country, I was driven to the medical field because I wanted to have uh, an impact on people's lives. I wanted to make a difference. And um, and so that kind of um, started my, my pathway. I did my undergrad at my medical school uh, in Florida, at the University of Florida, and then progressed to Johns Hopkins University and then University of Pennsylvania for uh, residency and then fellowship. And as I was going through my medical training, uh, it became clear to me that not only do I love taking care of individual patients, but I love the idea of taking care of groups of people, populations. And I started working more on population health and public health, uh, joining the faculty at the University of Pennsylvania, and also working closely with the city of Philadelphia Department of Public Health on on large healthcare initiatives and kind of sharpening those uh, those tools. And then I was um, honored to be asked to come down and, and work in D.C. as a VA was addressing uh, how to improve access and engagement. And so I did that for about uh, about a year, serving as a senior advisor. And then um, during that time, we really laid out VA strategy for community care and developing an integrated network that has the best of VA and the best of the private sector. Um, and then from there, got asked to serve as the assistant and now as the deputy undersecretary for community care, overseeing the community care network. So really, my the things that have driven me most is is really that, that patient care. How do you make sure that patients get care that they need, delivered in a manner that's conducive to uh, who they are as an individual? How do you consider not only 
their condition that they're coming to you, but as a person. And that includes considering the social, behavioral, economical, and environment that they live in. And then how do you start to take those principles of working one-on-one with a patient and then apply them to populations so we can improve the health of communities and the health of America in general? So those are really my kind of my motivators and, and drivers uh, throughout my, my career path. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and speaking about that, you know, when you think of your experience as a clinician and now in your leadership role at VA, um, what makes in your mind, uh, what are the characteristics of an effective leader? And perhaps you could illustrate for us um, who has influenced your leadership style. Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, you know, in my mind, I would maybe categorize, and I think there's many features of a great sure. leader, but I just highlight a couple that, I, that have been so important to me. Um, one is open and honest communication. I think leaders have to be able to communicate well with Uh, their employees, with their customers, with their stakeholders, and being able to be direct and honest about what's working, what's not working, uh, and really building that trust is important. Uh, I also think that leaders need to be learners. And in my mind, having a sense of humility and um, recognizing that you don't know everything and learning from others, I think, is important. I think that fosters a really good team environment. Um, I think change is inevitable. And in fact, organizations that are healthy are constantly changing and evolving. And for that matter, leaders really need to help their teams and their organizations through that change process. And then finally, it's um, a key characteristic of a leader, I think, is how they're able to develop uh, highly effective teams. And so in my mind, um, you know, no man is an island. How can you work with others and develop a culture that's conducive uh, to great teamwork, great collaboration, and uh, lifting others up as you to get the work done. Um, and throughout my career, I've really learned nuggets from different people across my profession, and really starting early on in medical school of, of just seeing how some great clinicians modeled that, modeled that teamwork for me, um, modeled that constant learning. You know, I've, I've interacted with some amazing, world-renowned doctors, but they still have the humility to, to recognize that there is a learning uh, part of what they do. So I think a lot of people have touched me uh, throughout, the, uh, throughout my career uh, at every stage of my life. What are VA's community care priorities? We will ask Dr. Bali Yahia, Deputy Undersecretary for Health for Community Care at the VA, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. The latest edition of the Business of Government magazine delves into a diverse set of topics and public management issues facing us today. Hi, I'm Michael Keegan, the editor of the Business of Government magazine, and with each edition I present the leadership stories of a select group of public servants and complement their frontline experience with practical insights from thought leaders, merging real-world experience with practical scholarship. Check out the latest edition of the Business of Government magazine and find out. Download or order a free copy at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and my guest today is Dr. Bali Yahia, Deputy Undersecretary for Health for Community Care at VA. Also joining us from IBM is Mark Newsom. Dr. Yahia, I would uh, like to explore your strategic vision and priorities. Um, could you briefly identify your current strategic priorities 
for the Office of Community Care? And what are your goals? Sure. We at at VA are really driving towards developing an integrated health uh, network, and that really is a network that takes the best of VA and the best of the community. And so my my role is really in that community space of how to identify those key strategic partners and how to integrate that care uh, between the VA and the community. So really that's kind of what we're all aiming for is a, a robust, high-performing, integrated network across the country. And our, our motto and our mission is in community care is really easy. We need a program that is easy to understand, that is simple to administer, and that it meets the needs of veterans and their families, our community providers that are our partners, and our VA employees. And so all the work that we do really resol- revolves around our key stakeholders and making sure that we can improve uh, their lives, we can improve their health, we can improve the efficiency of the system. And um, that's been kind of the key motivator and driver of all the work that we do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as a follow-up, when you were shaping your priorities and, and figuring out the direction for your office, what are some of the persistent internal challenges and external pressures that have influenced and informed your strategy? Uh, there's a lot of things that are always um, – that always are – need to be considered when when going through large change and transformation. And uh, we are going through that today. So we are going through a massive transformation at VA to really deliver that excellent care uh, that's required to to serve our our nation's veterans uh, in an environment and in a location that's conducive to them. And so um, that's probably one of the biggest challenges is how do you – uh, how do you continue to move the um, an institution forward to achieve that goal? And there's always uh, some external pressures. We are a, a federal agency, and so uh, you know we have to work in partnership with Congress and many others. So making sure that all of those different things are in play and help strategically align them all so that we can get the work done that needs to be done. So we work both on the internal side of just typical transformation. How do you create change in in large institutions? And then the external pressures of Congress and other stakeholders to make sure that they're informed and aware and partners in that change. Any guiding principles that help you get through that kind of? Yeah, I think my guiding principle is really, it's about the veteran. And so um, by, by centering on the veterans' outcomes, their health and their experiences, you know, everyone gets on board behind that. And, uh, in all honesty, you know, veteran health care and veteran issues are very uh, kind of across the board. People understand them. Uh, individuals want to want to advance them. Mm-hmm. And so we actually don't um, don't have much discussion about that. We want to do the right thing. It's just getting uh, everyone around the table to identify how do we make sure we have the resources, the authorities, the processes, and the right team to get all that done. As we look at eligibility, the current system has overlapping community care eligibility requirements. Can you elaborate on your efforts to streamline and consolidate these requirements? Yes, we actually have, um, you know, our goal in community care, as I mentioned, is to deliver that program that is easy to understand and simple to administer and meets the needs of veterans and their families, community providers, and our staff. To do that, we believe we need to get away from our seven to eight different ways of doing the same exact thing and get to one way. And, um, and that's something that we've been discussing and working and partnering with Congress for for the last uh, year and a half to two years. We actually developed a strategic 
plan, a vision to get there that actually takes these seven, eight different ways of doing, for the most part, the same thing and creates one program with one eligibility criteria and one way of purchasing health care and delivering health care in the community for veterans. I think that will have some um, such great benefit to not only our veteran patients that, that use the program, but also to our community providers, our doctors in the, um, that we work with in other federal bodies and in the private sector, that they only have kind of one way to interact with VA versus multiple ways that might be confusing to them. And again, from an efficiency perspective for government and for administration, it makes sense to have one way, uh, one program that, that works so that you are not kind of setting up different systems to do um, to administer more than one program. Associated with that is referrals and authorizations. It's a complicated process. What has been done to optimize the referral and authorization process? How are you working to enable more rapid exchange of information to support timely delivery of care? So the referral process is when uh, a doctor at one location says, uh, I need you to go see another doctor or receive a procedure or receive a service at, at another location. And it's a common thing that occurs in, in healthcare because we have many different types of doctors, all with different specialties. Uh, and also kind of supporting services. So that's kind of the idea of a referral. You go from maybe your primary care doctor to a cardiologist or to a general surgeon. So the idea is to make sure that that pathway is as simple and as a straight shot as possible. How can we make sure that the information that one doctor says needs to occur goes to the other individual as quickly as possible? And in in that pathway, how do we make sure that we share the information that's required for them to know that? And most importantly, how does a, how does a patient, and in our case as a veteran, uh, involved and aware of all those different steps and, and understands and is an active participant in care? And so we've been uh, really rolling out some innovative ways to do that by streamlining the referral process so that it's more automated, so rather than uh, transcribing kind of one note to another note, uh, figuring out how we can make that more um, more automatic, more automated. We're also trying to figure out and implementing ways to electronically send referrals so that it's not kind of the old you know fax machine uh, or uh, telephone calls. How can we send it more electronically? And lastly, for the sharing of health information, how can we make sure that they have access at the point of care to the information that they need to service the patient that's in front of them? And so we've been kind of taking a multi-pronged approach here, figuring out how we can make sure that it's a straight shot between uh, one clinician or provider to another. And so all of this doesn't happen without contracting, federal contracting. Um, And sometimes the federal contracting requirements create unnecessary administrative burdens for some community providers. Can you elaborate on efforts to improve the VA's flexibility to meet veterans' demand for hospital care, medical services, or extended care services? And are there plans to authorize VA to purchase care in certain circumstances through agreements that are not subject to certain provisions of law governing federal contracts? So that is an excellent question. I know it sounds like a complicated question, but it is an, it's an excellent question because what we need to make sure, uh, as I described earlier, um, we have to partner 
with community providers and hospitals and clinics across the country to best take care of our veterans. We cannot have a physical presence in every location. And so we have to be able to do those strategic partnerships as efficiently and as quickly as possible. And in some circumstances, going through the the federal contracting process takes a long time. And we may be talking about a small group practice or maybe kind of a single provider shop. And um, they're not used to working that way with any other sort of health entity, whether it's a health insurance plan or other systems or even Medicare, uh, another part of the federal government. So we're actually looking to um, leverage something called provider agreements where we can actually enter into pretty quick but still robust version of contractual agreements with with providers that make it more simple and more easier for them to be able to partner with us. And like I said before, this is so important because in many locations, especially in, in rural America, they may be the only game in town. And so we may be dependent on that surgeon, that cardiologist, that neurosurgeon, that radiology group to take care of our veterans. And if we can't work with them efficiently because there's some complicated process that they have to go through, you know, it really does us harm. And so we've actually um, have proposed in our plan uh, that I had mentioned before to consolidate all our care programs um, how we can get there. And luckily, uh, we've been working with Congress to try to give us that authority to be able to partner with these community providers. It's sort of a, a nice segue into um, how is VA working with these community providers to enable them to easily exchange? So this is um, this is such a key point because American medicine is struggling today with how to coordinate care. Um, many patients go from one hospital to another their electronic health systems don't talk to each other. You know, when I was working on the wards uh, at Hopkins and at Penn, this would happen all the time when we'd have a transfer from another hospital, but you don't have the full records quite yet. And so, um, you know, we got to do better in, uh, in American medicine overall. And I know there's a lot of really great individuals and institutions that are trying to, t- trying to crack that nut. How can we better kind of share information? At VA, we are taking a very innovative approach to this. We're actually uh, deploying right now in in a pilot format and hopefully over time um, through a national deployment uh, program, kind of read-only access to our record. And so the way that it's working today, and we do this with our uh, DOD partners, our military treatment facility partners, they can actually go to through a web-based portal and log in and for the patient that we've referred to them, access the VA record. And I think that is such an important um, innovation and a new way of sharing health information. So it's electronic, it's quick, it's fast, and they can go to the primary source of information. They can look at what I wrote when I see patients about you know, why I need this consult and what their medical history is, and they can be clear about what medicines the individual is on. Um, and so this has been a very effective tool to be able to share health information, and I hope that it can serve as a model uh, for other institutions as we work on the larger solution of connecting all the records together. That's great. So, you know, what is being done uh, to improve medical records management and strengthening the existing care coordination capabilities within VA and its community providers? Yeah, and I want to start again in in, in addressing this question by reflecting back to what um, is the American landscape today in healthcare. And we are seeing in the era of value-based medicine and in more contemporary payment models that um, hospitals and doctors and and, um, 
and clinical programs are being rewarded for what we call value, producing good outcomes, Mm -hmm. rather than on volume, just kind of uh, running through widgets. So there's more uh, focus on on those uh, more contemporary uh, different payment models. In order to do that successfully, you really need to coordinate care. You have to work well with other provider groups and also social services uh, in your community. And so there's become more of a focus on this over the last couple of years of how do we connect the dots between all these uh, different providers that are caring for an individual and make sure that we can um, effectively give them the best health outcomes that are possible and coordinate the care more tightly. And by doing that, we can reduce unnecessary testing and redundancies, unnecessary infections and readmission. So a lot of folks are focusing on that. And VA is no different. I mean, we also have a huge focus on care coordination and clinical integration. And um, we are really living this natural experiment right now where we have as I mentioned, about a third of our appointments outside of our walls, two-thirds are inside of our walls. It makes the care coordination even more important. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have some new care coordination models that we're leveraging that that use predictive analytics to determine uh, the level of coordination that someone needs, matches them up with the right uh, support from a navigator to maybe a case manager, and then using the different tools that I described before of sharing information uh, that's kind of the approach that we're taking to make sure that you know people don't fall through the cracks. And I think it's uh, what we're doing is really an example that could be used by others as they uh, tackle these same challenges. What is VA doing to prepare for a changing veterans landscape? We will ask Dr. Bali Yahia, Deputy Undersecretary for Health for Community Care at VA, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. What is public health surveillance? How do emerging health information technologies improve public health data? How is the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention using innovative solutions to tackle public health surveillance challenges? Join host Michael Keegan next week as he explores these questions with Brian Lee, Chief Public Health Informatics Officer within the Office of Public Health Scientific Services at CDC. That's next week on the Business of Government Hour. Tune in Mondays at 11 a.m. on Federal News Radio 1500 a.m. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and my guest today is Dr. Bali Yahia, Deputy Undersecretary for Health for Community Care at VA. Also joining us from IBM is Mark Newsom. So, Doctor, um, the VA has been making changes to help address the challenges created by a mandated 90-day implementation of the Veterans Choice Program in 2014. Can you talk about how you're addressing the challenges created by such a quick turnaround? Sure. Um, the Choice Program, uh, which was passed at uh, the end of 2014, became another way that VA can partner with community providers. As I had mentioned before, we've been strategically partnering with private doctors for about 70 years. And so this program came as another tool to do that. Um, And so with it came some complexities in the design of the program. And then also, as you mentioned, a short implementation time period. And I always uh, like to give a reference here. The TRICARE program, which is a kind of a similar program uh, that's run out of the Department of Defense. You know, they took about three years to roll out their large national program. And in comparison, ours was about three months. And so we were able to successfully launch this program. But because of that timeframe, because of some of the different designs in in, 
um, in how the law was crafted, you know, we had a little bit of a of a of a rocky, bumpy start. But our team worked extraordinarily hard to make sure that we implement fixes as quickly as possible. And uh, we have two contracting partners, and we've made over 70 different modifications to the program uh, to make it work better for veterans. And we've also partnered strongly with Congress, and Congress, uh, since the start of the program, has modified the law about four times to continue to make it work better. And I think we've seen some results as a result of that. Um, About uh, more than a million veterans have touched the program. Uh, We've delivered millions of appointments through the program. And while it's working better than the start of uh, 2015, we still have a way to go. We actually are still continuing to partner with our congressional colleagues and making sure that we can make this program even better and are driving every day to uh, put enhancements in there. So our approach is really kind of a short-term, long-term. We knew we have to make fixes today that can deliver uh, improvements to veterans in their experience with choice. At the same time, we're working on how can we create more longitudinal transformational changes to the entire program so that it works better and is sustained into the future. You talked before, and uh, this question is around, you know, the challenges in veterans' health information between uh, community care providers and the VA. Um, You described somewhat of those challenges. Can you elaborate just a little bit more and maybe uh, add how the buy-in from the community care providers is is sort of kind of going? Sure. You know, community providers, when I interact with them and um, through phone calls or face-to-face meetings, first and foremost, they are committed to serving uh, our nation's veterans. They they welcome it. They 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 love having them as patients, and we hear that over and over again. Doctors and and other providers in the community um, like taking care of veterans, and so we um, we want to empower them. We want to give them the tools that they need to be able to be as successful as possible in that. And I think it really comes into two kind of main buckets. One is we are actually offering and we provide free what's called continuing medical education credits on military cultural competency, things that are unique to the veteran population. We have a number of free courses that VA offers and makes available to uh, private doctors to learn more about um, about veterans and their unique service of what it means to have a service-connected condition and, and what type of questions to ask them to make them feel more welcome uh, in their offices. So one is that education, and we do a lot of that. And the other one is how do we make sure we provide them with the necessary information they need to take care of the veterans that are that they're that they're seeing, and those are the the ideas and the concepts that I talked about before of how we share records better, how we coordinate care better, how we work with them better. Um, so I think we are well down on this pathway. We still have a long way to go, though, to make sure that those relationships are strong and that they are uh, as robust as possible. And I use as an example our, as I mentioned before, our relationship with a lot of our academic hospitals. Mm-hmm. Many of them have been together for decades and decades. And and I use many examples from there because we see what's working and what's not working. And over time, as you continue to develop those, those trusted relationships, uh, people know each other. You develop um, good channels of communication. Uh, and f- overall, you start developing uh, a better uh, environment, and that creates better health outcomes. And what is be- being done to uh, design customer service center or systems 
uh, that help resolve inquiries from both the veterans and from the community care providers regarding care coordination. Yeah. You know, most importantly, and really is uh, is how I kind of think about things, is we have to get to the root cause. So the root cause, in my mind, is that we have way too many programs. And so we would probably get a lot less inquiries <laughs> from uh, from veterans and community providers if we had kind of one, one system. And so, you know, we were operating seven to eight programs, each of them with a different nuance, uh, you're going to get a lot of questions and people are going to sometimes get it wrong in one area or another. And so we provide as much education as we can, but you know, I don't want to miss the point of how do we make it less complex and more simple. And so through um, um, webinars, through meetings, through um, uh, customer service hotlines and, and phone numbers, um, through direct engagements, there's many different channels that we um, push out information and also receive information uh, to make sure that uh, we can make these programs work better. But ultimately, our goal and, and our strategy is to try to get to one one way of doing uh, the the partnering of community care so that it makes it much more easier to administer and to answer different questions. So, Doctor, what are you doing to prepare for a changing veteran landscape, anticipating potential shifts in geographical distribution of veterans? What is being done to align VA facilities and services to those needs? Yeah, the veteran population is changing. Uh, The demographics is changing. Uh, We are seeing a rapid increase in women veterans. Even the geography where they're living is changing than before. And so we have to be very uh, nimble to adjust to those uh, changing demographic and other factors. That's why community care is so important and, and actually provides VA with flexibility because if we see an influx of veterans in a specific area, we might end up just creating more strategic partnerships with those community providers to serve veterans. It allows us a quicker way to respond than maybe opening up a clinic in that area. And so that idea of this integrated health network is so important to meet the needs of veterans as they as they age, as their demographic changes, as their geography changes. What does the future hold for VA's community care efforts? We will ask Dr. Bali Yahia, Deputy Undersecretary for Health for Community Care at VA, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. This is The Center This Week, highlighting the latest trends and best practices for improving government effectiveness, brought to you by the IBM Center for the Business of Government. I'm Michael Keegan, Managing Editor of the Business of Government magazine. The Center This Week is our opportunity to inform and, most importantly, to invite you, our listeners, to use the IBM Center for the Business of Government as your resource, a how-to resource for improving government effectiveness at the state, local, and federal level. Today, the leader I profile is Dr. David Shulkin, the new secretary of the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Who is Dr. David Shulkin? What is his leadership philosophy? How did he, in fact, reform the VHA? And what can we learn about him from his time leading VHA? We'll explore these questions and so much more. It is my hope that you'll learn more about a government executive who is changing the way government does business. But changing the way government does business requires patience. Dr. Shulkin explains the goals he sought and the challenges he faced in his previous role as VA Undersecretary for Health. He points out that change may take patience, but it requires resolve. It took a year to vet me and to get my confirmation, uh, first 
uh, vetted so that the president nominated me and then secondly to get confirmation from the U.S. Senate. So I had a long period of time in which to think about what I would do coming into the organization. The first is is to fix the access issues in healthcare, the real crisis that led towards um, where VA faced itself when I came into the organization, making sure it could provide uh, good access for veterans who needed its help. The second is to focus on the employees and to make sure that they felt passionate about the work they were doing and they had the tools that they needed. And this uh, was a big challenge and still remains a challenge for me in finding the right leaders to step up and to lead my healthcare organizations around the country. The third was to transform VA from being separate VA medical centers to actually acting as an integrated enterprise across the country where we take best practices from one VA and make sure that they're spread throughout the country. The fourth was to work with our community providers, those that are academic affiliates and those who help us by providing care in the community to form an integrated network with VA, what I call a high-performance network, where we can begin to start having seamless transitions of care between VA and the community. And the last and most important is really what I call our currency. Since we don't operate with a stock price and we don't operate by financial gains, our currency is really the trust of those that we serve, of the veterans. And clearly, in the wait time crisis that happened in April 2014, we lost a lot of confidence and trust. And so it's really my objective to build that trust back up with our veterans. Confidence and trust in VA has been attenuating for years. But Dr. Shulkin made it his objective to build the trust back with veterans. Sure, doing that takes an ambitious vision and a focused approach. But most of all, it involves putting veterans first. Well, one of the ways that I collect information about how to make the right strategic decisions is by actually listening to our veterans. And we are very fortunate in that we have organized groups of veterans. Many of them belong to what we call veteran services organizations. People know them as the American Legion, Veterans of Foreign War, Vietnam Veterans of America, Paralyzed Veterans of America, for example, where we are in regular contact with them and the veterans that they serve about whether we are addressing their needs and whether our ideas are good ones to pursue. The underlying concept on how we're making these changes is really to be veteran-centric, not government-centric, not healthcare-centric, but veteran-centric. And to drive an organization that is meeting their needs is really what we've launched an initiative called My VA, because we want every veteran to feel this is their VA. And in order for us to be able to meet their needs, we have to be listening to them. Listening to veterans is key to reforming the VA. But Congress also established a commission on care to examine veterans' access to health care, to also figure out how best to strategically organize the VHA, locate health sources, and deliver health care to veterans over the next 20 years. In my last conversation with Dr. Shulkin, he explains this effort and the insights gleaned. The Commission on Care was uh, set up by Congress and, and the president to provide recommendations on where the VA healthcare system should go in the future. It was actually uh, composed of uh, a number of leading healthcare executives um, and composed of people who understand the VA organization. And it focused specifically on the healthcare uh, mission of the organization. It was a very um, well-debated 
commission in that you heard all sorts of perspectives, people who felt that maybe the VA should be vouchered out and people that felt that that was the wrong decision. In the end, the commission reached a consensus and it said that the VA healthcare organization is absolutely necessary for veterans and for America, that the VA system needed to be kept intact and strong, but that the VA needed to make some transformational changes in the way that it operates. And it gave 18 recommendations. Uh, 15 of those 18, the VA feels are absolutely the correct recommendations and actually have already begun initiatives and efforts to undertake them. Some of them are longer term and will take a while to accomplish, but we we are absolutely supportive of these recommendations and think that the commission did a very good job of uh, defining what's going to be required for the success of the VA. According to Dr. Shulkin, the commission did a very good job of defining what it's going to take for VA to be successful. Most of these efforts require a committed and highly skilled workforce. So what is being done to promote a positive culture of service throughout the VA enterprise? Here's Dr. Shulkin. We already have a workforce that is a very committed workforce to this mission. So this is not uh, something that we have to rebuild. It's something that we have to reinforce and, uh, frankly, is motivating when we do reinforce that for those who have chosen to come to the VA. We've launched a program called Leaders Developing Leaders. This is where we're taking our leadership off-site, spending the time personally with them, personally training these top leaders, and recommitting to the mission, and then having them cascade this leadership training down to the people who work in their organizations. We've now trained over 90,000 people in our organization with a commitment to value-based leadership and principle-based leadership. Traditionally, the VA, like many government organizations, has been rules-based. And uh, uh, we don't believe that there are many high-performing organizations that are rules-based. High-performing organizations tend to have principles and values and adhere to that and allow their leaders to lead in the way that supports those principles and values. And that's what we're putting in place and training people in that way of managing. More information on this and other center resources is available at businessofgovernment.org. There you will find how the business of government is not business as usual. For the IBM Center for the Business of Government, I'm Michael Keegan, and this has been The Center This Week. From forging a unity of effort in homeland security, to strategizing today how to feel the U.S. Army of tomorrow, to pursuing affordable housing, eliminating fraud, waste, and abuse in healthcare, and securing cyberspace, The latest edition of the Business of Government magazine delves into a diverse set of topics and public management issues facing us today. Hi, I'm Michael Keegan, the editor of the Business of Government magazine. And with each edition, I present the leadership stories of a select group of public servants and complement their frontline experience with practical insights from thought leaders, merging real-world experience with practical scholarship. The purpose is not to offer a definitive solution to many of the management challenges facing government executives, but to provide a resource from which to draw practical, actionable recommendations on how best to confront these issues. Check out the latest edition of the Business of Government magazine and find out. We bring you insights and interviews from government executives who are changing the way government does business. Download or order a free copy at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and my guest today is Dr. Bali Yahia, Deputy Undersecretary for Health for Community Care at VA. Also joining us from IBM is Mark Newsom. 
I talk to many of my guests about the use of collaboration partnerships among agencies, within agencies and the private sector to achieve mission results. And we talked a lot about the community care partners you're working with. How are you leveraging partnerships either internal to VA, external to VA with DOD or what have you to improve your operations and outcomes? Yes. Yeah, so really our office, part of our, our goal is partnerships. We do a lot of that. Um, we partner with um, many institutions, uh, both in the federal sector and the private sector. And I'll just list a few. So in kind of the federal space, we work with the Department of Defense, which is probably one of our, our biggest strategic uh, partners, um, not only to deliver health care, but also to share resources in different markets. We also work with uh, Indian Health Service, mm-hmm. which runs um, many clinics and hospitals, tribal health programs, uh, federally qualified health centers. Uh, and so we work with a lot of, of those kind of folks in the federal space. And then in the, the private space, you know, we work with academic institutions, your mom and pop um, uh, clinics and hospitals and, and groups, uh, et cetera. So we do a lot of, uh, of partnering both in both spaces. We also do a lot of learning. Mm-hmm. Um, we learned a lot from our DOD partners, for example, because they administer something called the TRICARE program, which has some similarities to what we administer in community care. And they've been excellent in sharing their knowledge over the, the decades that they've run that program. And then we also leverage our community partners and our, our, our private sector partners to, to really kind of look under the hood of, hey, what are you doing really well that we can, uh, tr- we can learn from and we can translate and apply to uh, the Veteran Health Administration? And then vice versa. They do the same thing to us. They're like, hey, what are you doing in this area? There's certain things that we do um, at a very different scale, like telehealth and telemedicine that many folks may be interested in. Uh, and more and more institutions now in the private sector are interested in, in better caring for veterans. So they might come to us to learn about TBI, traumatic brain injury, PTSD, and, and other conditions. So uh, partnership and collaboration is really key. Both, And it's a two-way street. Uh, we both uh, work with them and learn from them and then vice versa. So, you know, would you elaborate on your efforts or on the efforts to position VA as a leader and innovator in healthcare redesign and what specific factors make VA unique compared to, say, commercial healthcare health plans? Yeah, we are going through this transformation that uh, I think can serve as a model for many other healthcare systems that are going through transformation. Healthcare in America is going through a lot of changes today, and that has a trickle-down effect to uh, ultimately to patients, but to the to the the clinics and the doctors and the hospitals where they're seen. And we've been going through the uh, a lot of changes over the last couple of years that that could um, those lessons learned could be helpful to other institutions. And in my mind, um, you know, you have to think about two things, the what and the how. And as you go through changes, the what for us has always been about how do we make uh, the care and the outcomes of veterans better? How do we make their experiences better? So we work on improving different steps along the veteran's journey through care. uh, And all of our, our work is really focused on making sure that they get better outcomes and experiences along their pathway. So that's really like the what, the what What are we doing? We're working to improve outcomes and experiences. The how is also equally important, which is how do you get that work done in a complex healthcare system? And we're one, we're a very complex healthcare system, just like many other systems. And being able to leverage um, teams, being able to um, empower 
kind of the frontline staff to generate ideas, being able to disseminate best practices across our, our institution. So that how you get things done of being able to generate some momentum, um, really create that burning platform, create a system that's conducive to implement a lot of changes is just as important. And we've been doing that uh, for the last um, two two years or so in, in the Office of Community Care and are continuing kind of forward on at an even accelerated pace now. So I think we have a lot to to share there about the innovation of, of actually getting change accomplished. When we talk about community care, mm-hmm. is, is it defined what kind of care the veteran gets or is it whatever care VA provides regardless whether it's a non-service connected, service connected, whatever the eligibility is, what kind of care are they getting? So community care is really a a broad term. Uh, We deliver the full range of services for veterans in the community, and it really depends on on their needs. Uh, For example, and I'll I'll use one extreme just to give you an example, Um, you know, pregnancy. We have many um, women of childbearing age that you know, become pregnant. Well, we don't actually offer uh, OB care or have delivery rooms in our facilities. So we always work with community providers to deliver that. The same thing for uh, we cover some part of neonatal care. We don't run neonatal units in our in our system. So we are we 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 purchase that those services on behalf of our veterans from our community partners. And then another area is depending on maybe it's too far away to come to a, a VA or we don't offer the service at that location or um, we have a, a, a large demand for that service and we need to partner in the community. So it all kind of varies from locale to locale and from patient to patient. As we look to the future, what are some of your major opportunities and also major challenges that the VA will face that you will encounter over the next couple of years? And can you give us an update on the new Veterans Choice Program as well? Sure. As we look towards the future, the challenges that we will face are really on that clinical integration and care coordination. As we anticipate more veterans getting some of their care in the VA and some of their care outside of the VA, making sure that uh, we keep them informed and we connect the dots for them and give them the support that they need as they go through that process. When individuals are sick or they have medical conditions, you know, it's it's a very vulnerable time for, for folks. And we want to make sure that for those that need them, we are providing them as much support as possible and that we are really good partners for community providers by giving them the information that they need and also making sure that we do the back office part, the claims and the billing and uh, the payment as, as good as possible. So I view that as a as a really an emerging need that we already focused on, but I think will continue to grow as we do more and more community care. You know, when we talk about Choice 2.0, which is really uh, the Choice program is set to expire uh, at the end of August of this year. So we're less than six months away from that. It really presents an opportunity for us. And we have a two-step approach to kind of get us to the future. The first step is to really allow us to extend the program with some changes to make it work better while we get 2.0 ready to go. So the first step is an extension of um, some of the services already provided by the program. As I mentioned before, more than a million folks have touched it. Um, And while it's not working perfectly, it's serving a lot of veterans and it's working better and better every single day. But Choice 2.0 
is really the redesign of this program to really make it sustainable and to make it the program that um, that it really should be. And so our ideas here are really to look at all of these seven, eight different programs, identify what's working really well in each of them, kind of put that together to create that one new program that, that makes the most sense. And so we are still actually engaging um, with, with folks to identify what will the design of that look like. In fact, uh, myself and a number of other leaders are going across the country holding listening sessions uh, for veterans to hear directly from them about what's working, what's not working, and what they would like to see. We're also doing the same with community providers, our partners in this of uh, what do you like, what don't you like about the current choice program, and what can, how can we make it better? And then similarly, we're working with our VSOs, our veteran service organizations, our congressional partners, and we need all of these stakeholders um, to bring them together as we figure out how to kind of design the program for the future that first and foremost serves veterans and meets their needs, provides them with, with access to care that's close to their home, um, and helps them get healthier and helps them stay healthy. And then at the same time, that's sustainable across time. That's great. So, you know, what advice would you give someone who's considering a career in public service? I must say that, you know, especially the VA, um, you know, we have the the noblest mission. It is, you know, what keeps me going uh, day in and day out. And, you know, when I wake up in the morning is really the population that we serve. And um, it's just it's just such a special population. And being able to contribute and give back in a way, is uh, is amazing to me. When you know, I tell the story that when I was a trainee uh, in Florida, I had finished the first two years of medical school, and the first two years of medical school are pretty much, uh, you know, basic science. You do your anatomy and your physiology, and you're in lecture halls. And then in the third year is when you kind of start interacting with patients. Well, my first interaction was at the Gainesville VA. I was on the wards taking care of. Um, of a group of, of patients. And one of uh, my attendings, which is kind of the senior doctor, um, said, hey, we need to do this specific test. We need to get, um, we need you to draw some blood uh, to do that. Now, you know, this was my first time that I'm going to actually draw some blood from a human. And when I walked in and I and I introduced myself as, as the medical student and uh, I've been asked to do this and the veteran was there. He could tell that I was nervous. I was nervous because I didn't. I didn't want to. Uh, I wanted to do it right, and I didn't want to hurt him. And he pretty much said, "Doc, don't worry about it. I've been through a lot worse. Take your time, and I'm here to help you." And he did help me, and I we were able to do it successfully, and, and, and it wasn't a, a problem at all. But that um, that always has stuck out in my mind. Uh, veterans has contributed to my education and um, my passion for medicine. Um, not only in medical school, but also through my time in fellowship taking care of them. So this is really an opportunity for me to be able to give back uh, to folks that have given so much, not only to me, but to our country. Well, Dr. Yee, I want to thank you for coming in today and taking some time out with us. But more importantly, Mark and I would like to thank you for your dedicated service to the country. Oh, thank you. This has been the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with Dr. Bali Yehia, Deputy Undersecretary for Health for Community Care at VA. My co-host from IBM has been Mark Newsom. Be sure to join us next week for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government effectiveness. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan. Thanks for joining us. This has been the Business of Government Hour. Be sure to visit us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. There you can learn more about our programs and get a transcript of today's conversation. Until next week, it's businessofgovernment.org.
What is public health surveillance? How do emerging health information technologies improve public health data? How is the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention using innovative solutions to tackle public health surveillance challenges? Join host Michael Keegan next week as he explores these questions with Brian Lee, Chief Public Health Informatics Officer within the Office of Public Health Scientific Services at CDC. That's next week on the Business of Government Hour. Tune in Mondays at 11 a.m. on Federal News Radio 1500 a.m.